Hey, Deserving Listeners, just me today. This is a patron-only podcast, so if you're not a patron, you have to become a patron before you can hear this whole episode. This is a follow-up episode to the episode I did on procrastination. I did a whole deep dive on procrastination, all the personality factors and all the reasons why people procrastinate, because there's a lot of different reasons why, and it's not usually or ever because someone is lazy or, you know, the typical explanation is, oh, they're so lazy. That's not usually, if ever, the case. And I went into a full deep dive on that. A lot of different factors shown in the research. And I asked people to send in their own accounts of their own procrastination. So that's what we're going to go over today. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Uh, If you're not a patron of the podcast, do so now. Go to patreon.com, become a patron, and you can hear this whole episode. Do so now. And if you're going to do it, sign up annually because that helps us out in terms of uh, planning and you get a discount. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll be in the patron zone. All right, we're in the patron zone, patrons. Thank you so much for being a patron. Love you so much. And also, as I keep saying, if y'all can switch over to annual, you know, most of the patrons, I think, are long-term patrons. And so it's a win-win if y'all sign up for annual because you get a discount, I think a 10% discount, and we are able to plan things for the future. Because, And I've said this a lot of times before, but when everyone is monthly, it's there's a lot of uncertainty month to month in terms of like what the situation is. And so when people do annual, it, it, it's like, okay, we, I think we can kind of relax a little bit. All right. So patron Balas from Hungary writes in and says, I am a procrastinator and it has ruined my life. When I listened to the episode, the deep dive on procrastination, I found out that a lot of the things you talked about applied to me. I had a strict dad who was never pleased. I did my chores, but he always found something that I did badly. Also, if I don't find joy in a task, I just can't do it. I am a perfectionist with low self-esteem. I have tremendous anxiety if I start a new project, and I always lack motivation. I am 25. I am a failure in life. I am a failure in life. I still live with my parents. I got fired from all my jobs. I never had a relationship. I mostly stay at home. I have two projects now. One is to finish my book and two is to learn programming, but I keep putting them off because what if I fail? Or it's just better to do something fun now than suffer through a task. My therapist asked, how much more do you want to suffer? And I still haven't answered that question. Funnily enough, I put it off. Everyone in my group on Facebook is getting married, starting a career, and I am just sitting at home wondering how it all went wrong. This comment is getting really depressing, so how about a little joke? What was the mercurial cow diagnosed with? A mood disorder. (laughs) All right. End of email. So, uh, high awareness from you, patron Balas from Hungary, so I'll, I'll commend you for that for sure. The first thing I'll say is uh, the fact that you're 25 and you see yourself as a failure is weird. Uh, Really, you should never think of yourself as a failure. But 25, I mean, you know, 25 is the new 18 in a lot of ways. A lot of kids, you know, young people in their 20s are staying at home. And I guarantee you that over half of your Facebook friends that are 25 are thinking the same thing about everyone else. Every, every, most 25-year-olds that I talk to think of themselves as failures. I... I'm trying to think if we, if I felt like I was a failure when I was 25, uh, there was, you know, there's certainly a lot of comparing going along, going, you know, going on, but, um, I don't remember pe- people being so, um, depressed about how slow their career was getting off the ground or something. So, um, you know, uh, normalize yourself in, in that way, but all right, so let's go over the factors that are, uh, that you're mentioning here that contribute possibly to your procrastination. And of course, I'm glad you're in therapy and I would continue to talk with them about that. But so the first thing is, is you have a strict father. So what does that mean? Well, I don't know. You didn't describe it, but usually what that means is you have a father that has a lot of tasks for you to do, is rigid, might be stern with what you're supposed to be doing, how you're supposed to be doing it, um, evaluating everything that you do, and you say that he was never pleased. So he was strict. He probably gave you a lot of chores, a lot of tasks to do, 
and maybe even watched over you like a hawk and was never pleased. So this is a relational trauma in all likelihood. I don't know, but you'd have to talk about it with your therapist or reflect on, a, on it yourself. But it wouldn't be unusual for someone describing something like that to have what I would call relational traumas of rejection and anxiety mainly. When parents are disapproving, it is a act of rejection and the kid, the kids will feel it that way. And this is normal when a kid is being unruly. It's normal for parents to have uh, a stern voice or maybe a look on their face of disgust or or even just saying, I don't like what you're doing right now. And that's rejection. And that's a part of life. But if it is chronic and unfair and seemingly no, you don't have any way out of it, you know, because usually what you want to do with kids when you give them messages of what I'm calling rejection or, uh, you know, behavior modification, you're hoping that the child will um, have some kind of way out, you know, like, hey, I don't like it when you punch your, when you hit your younger sister in the face, don't do that. So the kid goes, okay, well, I guess if I just don't hit younger sister in the face, then I will be acceptable again. But when you have a stern parent that is never pleased, there's no way out as a child. You have no way of gaining acceptance. You're in a perpetual trap of rejection, which feels very, very bad and demoralizing and causing a lot of anxiety, right? This is akin to emotional abuse. And this can incidentally lead to bad performance in people because they're scared and intimidated as they are trying to do a task and will um, be so anxious, you know, say after five years of your dad being really stern and never pleased, uh, you now have this syndrome at the age of 10 years old and your dad comes to you and says, okay, mow the lawn or something or clean the bathroom. And you're, you instantly uh, fly into an anxiety mode and which means that your brain doesn't work quite, quite right and your body doesn't work quite right. And you don't do the job very well. I've actually seen this in my practice. Uh, I've experienced it personally. Uh, it's a known phenomenon that when we are intimidated, we actually will perform worse when we're scared. So it can become a vicious cycle where you, where he uh, emotionally abuses you. You feel afraid. He asks you to do a task. You screw it up because you're afraid. He emotionally abuses you, and the vicious cycle goes round and round. This resulted in possibly what you're describing as perfectionism with low self-esteem. So low self-esteem because you're not treated very well. You're not, you know, an important parenting task is to make children feel like they can achieve things, that they are competent at things. And most parents intuit this, uh, and especially if you didn't grow up with emotional abuse yourself as a parent. You just intuit, you know, kids are constantly, particularly at certain phases of life, trying to gain your approval. They're like, look what I did. I can run fast. I can draw this thing. I learned this new craft at school and let me show you what I did. And you just get the sense as a parent that the child is really desperate for approval of almost everything that they do, uh, particularly some kids, but, but really all kids. And so uh, it's under normal circumstances, the parents will ob oblige and say, you're, you're a really good runner or you're really good with drawing or you're a, you share very well, or you're a good eater. You, you ate all of your food. Good for you. You know, the kids just feed off of that positive feedback. And when you don't have that, then you develop low self-esteem potentially. And with the strict parents and the rejection around that, the, perfectionism will kick in as well because you have this internalized voice of your father telling you to do everything perfect. But, uh, and I talked about it in the deep, you know, last deep dive that there's nothing wrong with perfectionism. There's nothing wrong with being, um, uh, achievement oriented, but there is something, uh, harmful to the self when you are achievement oriented, but you believe you won't be able to achieve it. So you're stuck uh, in this space of like, I must achieve a lot, but I know that I won't. And that's an internalized voice probably of your dad. And then you also talk about how you keep putting off finishing your book or learning programming because you ask yourself, what if I fail? 
that's a frequent thing. And then you resort to uh, hedonism, uh, as you mentioned, and doing something fun instead of suffering through something that feels like a chore. And this leads to the other factor I talked about in the deep dive, which is a regression or a, a complex regarding responsibility. When you have a complex with your parents or while you're going up regarding responsibility, then you are more likely to retain the adolescent or childish mode of, no, I don't want to. You know, it's, it's, it's normal for kids because kids are, being con- are constantly being told what to do, and they are trying to assert their personality and their individuality and their power, uh, even f- from day one, really. And or at least from six months forward, they're, they're always trying to like s- establish who they are. And and sometimes that's in opposition to the parents. And so when the parents are saying, do this chore, you know, it's not uncommon for, for kids to say, I don't want to. And if you were never allowed really to say that, if you had a very strict, stern parent, then one can retain that mode well into uh, adulthood where that you have an internal voice saying, you, you know, you got to finish your book. But then this adolescent voice kicks in and says, but I don't want to, I'd rather play video games. And that's a normal voice. But when that voice isn't entertained enough and isn't valued enough or given enough voice or power, then that regressive childish stance will dominate and the individual will do a lot of quote unquote fun things and irresponsible things because they were never allowed to when they were growing up. And some people can be stuck in that mode for a long time if they don't really evaluate it and heal from it. So you're in therapy, which is good. And I would explore the following things. One thing I would explore is, okay, what if you fail? You know, you're, you really want to finish your book. And you have this question, like, what if I fail? And then I would really walk yourself through that repeatedly. What if you fail? Okay, what if your book is terrible? What if no one likes your book? I'm guessing most people will say, well, I don't think that's going to happen, but I guess if it does, I don't really care. I just want to finish this book. So a lot of times the feeling that we have of what if I fail doesn't stand up to scrutiny when we actually evaluate it. So this is an REBT or CBT technique, and I would, I would really walk yourself through that with your therapist. And you have to do it repeatedly because these voices have to get into your head of, I don't, you know, essentially what you're trying to get into your head is, I don't care if I fail or it's worth trying, you know, but most people, when they bump up against that wall of what if I fail, they just give up. They're like, okay, what if I fail? And then it just feels bad. But most people, when they evaluate it, like, well, I guess it doesn't really matter if I fail and I probably won't fail. And, and what's success versus failure? That's another question you want to explore. Writing a book, for a lot of people, the success is just finishing it, right? Uh, not a lot of people expect to be a bestseller book. Most people are just like, well, I just want to finish it. You know, I just, I just want this thing to share with other people. And if other people like it, great. But I, I don't, I don't, I don't, that's kind of secondary to my main success of just finishing this thing. Um, the other thing you want to explore is what do you want? You, you hear me talk about a sense of self, connection with self. That's very important with Uh, people who suffer from procrastination because it's possible that given the relational traumas you went through that you don't really know what you want you don't really know like with learning programming do you really want to learn programming or is that something you feel like you're supposed to and for some people they and i don't know about you balas but for for some people they cannot differentiate between i want to versus i'm supposed to they have no way of getting in touch with their inner self to evaluate do I want to do this or am I supposed to do this? Um, or is it both? And that's very important with procrastinators to explore. And then obviously healing and therapy from the trauma. Um, but mostly just relax. You're 25. Don't think of yourself as a failure. You might even have some schemas around that, that, you know, I went into schemas of avoidant personality or dependent personality. Hard to say. All right, let's go on to another email. All right, this next email is from upper-tier patron Hannah from Pennsylvania. She writes in, I was diagnosed with autism four years ago, and I also suffer from generalized anxiety disorder and depression. My anxiety and depression makes me procrastinate a lot more. 
I just got a new full-time job, and I'm struggling with balancing everything in my personal life, so I've had no motivation to do anything that I want. But I've been suffering terribly from sleep procrastination. I just don't feel like I have any idea how to achieve all the goals that I have. Do you have any advice for how to deal with sleep procrastination or procrastination in general? I'm notoriously pushing things off because I'm afraid to do them. End of email. All right, so let's talk about sleep procrastination. I'm not exactly sure which one, which type of sleep procrastination you're talking about, Hannah. I suspect what you're talking about is the sort of sleep procrastination where people feel like they can't fall asleep because there's so much more that they have to get done in a day. And they feel, you know, you just got a new job. And so um, sometimes when you get a new job, it can be really overwhelming emotionally, but also just task-wise. It's really hard in the brain as well. Uh, usually, you know, five years into a job, you don't have to think as much about everything and you know where to cut corners here and there to gain some more time. Usually when people start a new job, it is just all-encompassing. You want everyone to think that you're a good employee. You are trying to figure everything out. There's a lot of emotional troubles of, you know, do people like me? What's going on? Um, you're depressed and anxious, so it's going to compound that. And I'm guessing that when it's time to go to sleep, you're thinking, well, I still haven't done all the things I'm supposed to do that I, I you know, impose on myself. And if I fall asleep and wake up the next day, then it's going to start all over again because I'm going to go to work and then there's there's going to be more things I'm going to have to get done because, you know, as as the days progress, there's usually more tasks that get added to the to-do list, right? And if you're not uh, running on that treadmill, then you end up falling behind, right? So I'm guessing that's what you're talking about. But some people will, uh, you know, procrastinate on sleep because of revenge. Essentially, they're like, this is my time and I need time to myself. And all day I've been giving my time away to everyone else and I want time for myself. And so they'll put off sleep. Or they might be anxious about sleep. They'll procrastinate about sleep because they are afraid of falling asleep. There are people like that. We've talked about that before on the podcast. But the most important thing here, Hannah, is that you're suffering from anxiety and depression, which is no joke. Generalized anxiety disorder is no joke. And depression, if you have major depression, is, is extremely debilitating and a huge factor in procrastination. One, anxiety can demoralize us and keep us... Uh, you know, um, immobile, but depression by its definition causes us to have low motivation and also causes us not to enjoy anything typically and demoralizes us. And so if you're depressed, it's going to be really hard to um, force yourself to overcome one's procrastination. So I would guess that um, whatever's, you know, people who suffer from anxiety and depression often what I find is that they're depressed because of their anxiety. And if we fix their anxiety, then their depression goes away. Sometimes people can suffer from both for sure. But but having generalized anxiety is a demoralizing, depressing life. And so I don't know if that's your case. So if that is, then I would really focus on the anxiety. Then the depression will go down and the procrastination will go down. The sleep procrastination will go down as well, usually. So obviously going to therapy and um working on that is important. Maybe getting medication, hard to know. But that's the thing I would focus on. I, I, uh, you're at a new job. It sounds like you're kind of beating yourself up, like you're not getting all your tasks done, which might be kind of normal given the new job situation. You're having some sleep procrastination. You're struggling and uh, you need support. You need people to talk to. Now, regarding, you, you're saying, you know, what advice do I have about procrastination in general or sleep procrastination. Well, again, people procrastinate for a reason. So I would really investigate why you're putting off sleep. What is going on there? What's the, what's the problem? And once you know that, then you'll know how to help your procrastination. Uh, you know, as I was saying in the other deep dive, we should never, when we are procrastinating and we're noticing it, we should never say, I just need to have more willpower. I just need to overcome my procrastination. That is the direct opposite of what often you should be doing, if not always. What we should be doing is saying, why am I procrastinating? Because once I know that, then I'll know what to do because I need to solve that problem. That the procrastination is a symptom of something else that's happening. Um, 
the other thing is, you know, really making sure that you sleep enough at night. People, you need generally about eight to nine hours. And what this means is you need about eight to nine hours in bed because usually we don't sleep the entire time, right? Um, so, and knowing your own body as well, but, you know, most people are sleep deprived. So making sure you're getting enough sleep and, and just really trying to motivate yourself. Now, one of the things that depressed people will talk about in terms of how they cope with procrastination or motivation in general is they just do it. You'll, you'll hear people. It's, in fact, I was reacting to a uh, video with Lady Gaga with an interview with Oprah when they were talking about mental health. And one of the things that uh, Lady Gaga was saying was that she's is profoundly depressed and often. And what she does is she just doesn't think about it. She gets up, she has a routine, she gets up in the morning and she just does the routine. She doesn't think because if she stops and thinks, then she won't do it. So sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. It's just hard to, to know what works for people um, and what doesn't work for others. So, but then you ask, you know, how do I achieve all of my goals? Well, this is something I don't think I went into in super detail, but when it, from the sound of it, I, I get the impression like you're sitting there at night and you're like, oh, I have all these things I have to get done, big projects, all these things I have to do. And the this is just me, but what works for me is you write it all out. You When I was in graduate school, um, getting for the second time when I was getting my doctorate, I had such a long to-do list. I had a Word doc that was pages and pages long of to-do to list things because in graduate school, it's so time-consuming. And I was also racing through and I was doing my dissertation and I was taking classes and I was at multiple internships and I was also teaching full-time at Antioch and I was also at my practice and I was also at my supervision practice and I was also in a band and I also had a family and friends and yeah, it was a lot. And so I didn't have time to do all the things I wanted to do in a day and I just kept writing it on this to-do list and I would look at the to-do list all the time and be like, okay, What's my priority? What can I get done? What do I need to get done? And what can I put off? And a lot of the things on that list, I were perpetually on my to-do list for the entire span of time I was in my graduate degree, getting my doctorate. So that was four or five years where I had a, you know an item, several items, maybe half the items on the to-do list were things that I was like, well, if I have time, but I might not. And then when once I graduated... Then I suddenly had time and I started to chip away at these things. A lot of them were podcast related, by the way, <laughs> but I uh, did that. So so you write it down and you write out all the steps and you visit that list um, often. For me, I've, I talked about this in the, and some people reached out and said, what sort of program do you use? I, there's a lot of different programs you can use for to-do lists and organization, but I use Trello, T-R-E-L-L-O. It's just the one that I found 10 years ago or so and, and have just stuck with it. Um, it. It's fine. And it's just a web-based thing. And they, there's an app on the on my phone that I can also view. And it's it's basically a, like OneNote or a Google Doc. Like, honestly, if I went back in time, I'd probably – maybe I'd just use a Google Doc. But Trello makes it easier because you can kind of move stuff around. And I don't know. It just, it just like the way it's sort of laid out. And – I look at my Trello to-do list probably 20 times a day, just kind of, especially when I am done with tasks, like I'll, I'll finish a certain task and then I go, okay, I've got a couple seconds here. Uh, maybe I'll watch a YouTube video or something or hang out with the dogs or, you know, hang out with my wife for a little bit. Then I go back to my to-do list and I, and I scan it. I look at the whole thing. I'm like, okay. And I have it all organized by like things I got to do soon, things I got to do eventually, things I, I got to do hopefully in my lifetime, <laughs> things I got to do for the house, things I got to do for the podcast, all these like reminders that I got. <laughs> by the way, just a little side note of like organization. I assume everyone is incompetent because I'm often true. It's often uh, correct. I'm trying to deal with my bank right now. Um, I, I use Bank of America, which is a, probably a big mistake. I, a long time ago, I tried to move away from them. 
uh, for various obvious reasons. And just, it was just, I was just so entangled with that bank. But anyway, I have been trying to get a hold of them because I got to get to my safe deposit box. And Bank of America has closed down most of the branches in Seattle, which is bizarre. Why? I mean, because of the pandemic. But anyway, uh, all the branches are closed. And I, I find that banks, any excuse they have, I mean, their hours are from 10 to 4 or something like that. 10 to f- What business is open from 10 to 4? Especially a business that is tailored to businesses. It's, it's, your, it's your money, you know? And anyway, so they're, they've closed down all these branches, including the branch that has my safe deposit box. And I, I use my safe deposit box as a place for backups and everything. You know, it's very I, – because I have a lot of data and, um, you know, it's like what if your house burns down, that kind of thing. And and so, anyway, I, uh, and also, you know, other, I use my safe deposit box for a, a, a number of reasons. But anyway, the point is, is that I have been trying to get a hold of them. So I, and you need to make this appointment. And I contacted them. I did the procedure. I went to the branch and it was closed. And I'm like, why is it closed? And there's this you know, notification on there, you know, it's closed because this, you know, if you're trying to get your safe deposit box, then email this thing. So I emailed the thing. And and I assume that they will not email me back or there will be something janky about their response. And so in my to-do list, I have this column of things that says I should receive an email from these people. Because that's another task is like keeping track of other people's tasks. Like if you are dependent on your spouse for something, it's like, okay, you know, keep, you got to keep track of all this. Because there's just so many stupid little minuscule dumb things I have to keep, all of us have to keep track of on a daily basis. And, and so I just assume that everyone will drop the ball. And so I have a to-do list column that just on keeping track of other people's tasks, <laughs> like at the university or something, you know, it's just like I email this person and half the time they don't get back to me. You know, half the time, like, anyway, I, there's something to get started. So that's another thing that you have to do. <laughs> it's just keep track of all that stuff. And, and it, for me, there is no way that I would be able to function in life uh, or at least be happy about my life if I did not have this to-do list and I didn't have this practice of going back to it. Anyway, let's go on to another email. All right, this next email is from Anonymous Annual Patron from California. So they signed up for the annual thing and they mentioned that. I procrastinate with things in my personal life, but not at work. At work, I'm known for getting things done really fast, but at home, not so much. For example, I put off cleaning, financial planning, and creative projects. I once had a therapist ask me why I thought this was. I said, maybe because I don't consider my work at the office to be an extension of myself. Any speculation as to why this could be? Why do I put off personal life things but not work things? I will procrastinate by using to-do lists, researching things, and workplace setup. Also, I tell myself I need large, uninterrupted blocks of time and then fill up those blocks of time with busy work or cyber loafing. I liked my previous therapist, but I think I need to see someone who uses more than just CBT. I know you've told us before, but what kind of... But can you remind us what type of therapy works well with people with avoidance or anxiety issues? End of email. First thing I'll say is I've never heard of the term cyber cyber loafing, but I love it. <laughs> I do a lot of that in my life, which I think is fine. That's another part of the deep dive I talked about procrastination is that do not beat yourself up for, for cyber loafing or Netflixing or uh, just doing anything to that's veg time. You know, they called it veg time. It's okay. It's, it's a indication that you probably need to do it, but it is worth evaluating at times, but never beat yourself up about it because it can cause this vicious cycle where you're cyber loafing and then you're shaming yourself, which makes you feel worse about yourself, which causes you to procrastinate more and causes more cyber loafing, which causes more shame anyway. So this is interesting. You're saying that you procrastinate at your personal life, but not at work. Well, again, you've explored it with your therapist. You haven't really figured it out. So I'm guessing I'm not going to figure it out either. But um, some hypotheses I would explore would be that when you're at work, you're doing things for other people, right? You're not doing things just for you. But in your personal life, you're doing things just for you, cleaning, financial planning, and creative projects, as you mentioned. 
these are things just for you. And so it's possible that you're much more, for whatever reason, you know, there's two main reasons why this would happen in the way that I'm describing it. One is, is that you're anxious about disapproval and thus it overrides your procrastination or you're desperate for that kind of approval from others because you are very anxious about being disapproved of. Another possibility along these lines is that you don't really value yourself and you don't value your own time. I mean, one of the reasons why I don't suffer from procrastination is because I was raised in a way that made me feel a little entitled. Um, you know, I'm like, what do I say, 5 10% on the narcissistic uh, spectrum. And I, when I have free time or any time, really, I, I feel like it's mine. You know, it's mine. It's my time. <laughs> and I'm entitled to do what I want to in this time. And I'm going to get these things done. And I'm not going to let other people get in my way. And, I'm, and I'll be damned if I'm going to waste my time. This is, you know, finally, I have some time for me. And this is, yeah, so some people lack that or they're on the other end of the spectrum where they are self uh, denigrating in a way, and when they have personal uh, tasks, they don't really value them because they don't value themselves. I don't know if that's a, another reason, but um, but there's that. And then you say, what sort of therapist should you go to uh, for people with avoidance or anxiety issues? And you're finding that CBT isn't working. It's possible that just the particular CBT therapist wasn't helpful. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways in which one can administer CBT and there's a lot of different personalities of therapists. But um, if I was to, it's, well, it's hard for me to know uh, anonymous annual patron from California because I don't know what, what the problem is. And so that, that's what I would really try to figure out at first. If you're trying to find the right therapist is, you know, why am I procrastinating exactly? You know, what's happening here? Is it, uh, am I in touch with myself do I have some sort of relational traumas? Is it just the way that I think? Is it some kind of anxiety about other people? But, you know, generally speaking, anxiety and CBT go pretty well together. But if you're finding that's not really working for you, I might ex I might find a therapist that is more humanistic and or psychodynamic just to or attachment oriented just to maybe explore because I'm guessing you maybe didn't do this with the CBT therapist, I don't know, but to explore relational traumas, just finding a therapist that wants to talk about those kinds of things, personality traits derived from your early childhood. Um, you know, hard to know. I, it, there's not enough detail for me to grab onto, but that's what I'll say about that. Let's read another email. All right, this next email is from good old patron Natasha from California. She writes, I related to a lot of your points in the procrastination deep dive, which was validating, but it's also frustrating because it is a problem I know that I have. I was recently diagnosed with borderline, although I would argue my issues fall more on the dependency and passive aggressive spectrum. For me, procrastination feels like a part of my personality, like this debilitating thing I can't control, even though I realize cognitively that doesn't make any sense. I often want to redo I often want a redo of the past several months of my life so that I could smooth over a thing I ignored that consequently blew up in my face. I'll stress about a task all day, every day, and will not do it, but keep it as a secret as much as possible. End of email. All right, so there's a lot to get into here. The first thing is that you're recently diagnosed with borderline, but you think you're more dependent and or passive-aggressive personality. And I commend your... Uh, self-awareness there, Natasha. And yes, dependent personality disorder, passive-aggressive personality disorder are often misinterpreted as borderline because not a lot of people know what dependent personality disorder or passive-aggressive personality disorder is. And the closest thing often is borderline. So if if this is the case for you and you suffer from dependency, then in all likelihood, you were parented in a way that made you feel like you're a failure or there's something wrong with you, uh, low self-esteem, and that you can't do things unless other people are there to help you. So obviously, if you have those schemas, that's going to interfere with your getting any kind of task done. Because when you believe that you can't do it on your own, when you believe that you need other people to tell you what to do, when you believe that there's some, when you're, when you believe you're incompetent, you're going to screw things up, then why try? 
this is a huge element for a lot of people that are procrastinating. You know, they they have they have this cognitive. It's almost like there's two people in their heads. This maybe called the superego is saying, "Well, you got to do these things. You got to get this done. You got to you know finish your book, or you've you've got to do that creative project, or you've got to take out the garbage, or you've got to redo the um, you know the carpet, or you have to." In research buying a new vacuum cleaner or <laughs> I'm just kind of naming things that I've done recently. And then your uh, ego kicks in and says, but I'm going to fail at it. So why try? And then you grind to a halt. So, but, but it doesn't get rid of that super ego telling you do it, do it, do it. But the ego is saying, but I'm going to fail. Why try? This is pointless. If you're on the passive aggressive spectrum, then it's similar to dependency, right? If not one and the same, and if you and I know, I'm pretty sure you have Natasha listen to those deep dives on dependency and passive aggressive. There um, sometimes conceptualizes the same thing in just different forms within the same category. But in that situation, then you have a lot of anger that was suppressed by outside forces, usually one's parents, and you have uh a lot of anger inside of you and the only way you can let it out is through hidden ways right you can't express it directly and so one of the ways that we can express our anger or very legitimate anger and justifiable anger that's been building up for our whole life is to tell someone even ourselves no i'm not going to do that particularly tasks that are given to us from other people right so until those kinds of schemas are mitigated somehow it's going to be really hard to not procrastinate. Um, then you also say, I, you know, that past several months of your life. Oh, I often want a redo of the past several months so I could smooth a thing, smooth, smooth over a thing, smooth, smooth over a thing I ignored that consequently blew up, blew up in my face. So I don't know exactly what we're referring to, Natasha, but if I was to take a guess, I would say that you are often in a state of regret because you procrastinated or you just didn't pay attention to something that you think you probably should have been. And then there was a relational blow up, blow up in your face. Like someone was very disappointed in you or something fell apart and you you were, you know, made to feel incompetent or something. And that's probably just part of that, um, that process of, I need to get something done but I can't because I'm a failure and I'm going to screw it up and I need other people to tell me what to do. I'll put it off. I'll put it off. I'll put it off. And then maybe some of the things you put off don't impact other people, but some of the things you put off will impact others. And then they'll be hurt by that. They'll get angry at you. And then you're like, Oh, I wish I could just go back in time and do it all over again. I'm just taking guesses. That's what's happening. I don't know. And then you say, I'll stress about a task all day, every day and will not do it. So it's that stress, right? That's the problem. The problem isn't that you're not doing the task. That that's not what I would focus on. You know, it's tempting to say, oh, "I just need to do it." But the stress might literally be the reason why you're not doing the thing. That when I work with people on this, I, I say, "You at this point have two choices with this kind of thing. You can either not in both situations, you're not going to get the thing done." Okay. In one situation, you're going to beat yourself up and stress and shame yourself and hate yourself and not get it done. Or you can not shame yourself and just be lackadaisical about the fact that you're not going to get it done and still you won't get it done. There's this idea that, and and I lay that out to people because I, I say there's no sense in stressing about it. There's no sense in shaming yourself. It's it's just an add-on problem. You know, it's just... You're, you're not going to get – just accept that you're not going to get it done. And this is that – you know one of the things I, I do, not with all clients with procrastination, but with some, of just helping people to accept you're not going to get it done. It's okay. It's okay that you, you, you have not gotten done many things in your life, and you're still alive, and people still love you. It's okay. You cannot get a lot of things done in life and still live a good life. Plus – by stressing and shaming yourself about it, it's probably causing you not to get things done. Because we have this notion, and there's a you know a lot of diet uh, regimens that are kind of based on this, or at least culturally, which is to just shame the self. 
I will shame myself into losing weight. I will shame myself into getting all my things done. I will shame myself into being a good partner. I will shame myself into being a good person at my job. This doesn't usually work. The it's a vicious cycle, right? And I was, you know, I talked about that earlier. So it's really important that you at the first thing that I do with procrastinators is you have to get rid of that shame. You have to get rid of that stress as best you can. You know, sometimes I'll even go into a phase and I'll just say for the next six months, let's just accept you're not going to get anything done and just relax and just take, just, just say, I'm not going to get anything done over the next six months. It's just not going to happen. I'll get the bare minimum things done, but I'm not going to get any of the, of the other things that I really want to get done. But, um, but I can put off, you know, obviously feeding your children and paying rent. These are things that you need to do. But, you know, all those little things you got to get done, like cleaning, for example, or laundry or whatever it is, um, just accept you're not going to get it done and work on not shaming yourself for it. It's very important. And if, Natasha, you have dependency and passive aggression I suspect, and I, I seem to remember you talking about this in other emails of a lot of you know abuse growing up and a, a lot of mistreatment. Those voices are in there, yelling at you. Get stuff done. You're gonna fail. What's wrong with you? You're you, there. You know you should be ashamed of yourself for the the way you're screwing up in life. And those are unfair voices. And until you get rid of them, it's going to be hard to not procrastinate. It's going to be hard to function really then you also mention that you keep it a secret as much as possible natasha i don't i don't know what you exactly mean by that but usually what this means in the context of dependency and passive aggression is that hidden anger right all of that anger of i it's not uncommon given your description natasha for someone you know like uh, a, a partner or someone at work or even a self-imposed thing of um, I need you to um, I don't know what would be a common thing that people have to do in their daily life I need you to take the car to get the oil changed okay something like that and uh, th- so in so this is a normal thing someone's asking you to do that or whatever or you're doing it or you're asking yourself to do it. And inside of you, there's several different people inside. One person is saying the superego saying, do it. Another person is saying, but you're going to fail at it. Another person is saying, I don't want to do it. How come everyone's always telling me what to do that, uh, that upsets me. How come they aren't doing it? You know, how, why am I being asked to, to lube the car? Why is it someone else doing it? They should be doing it for me. That's, that's someone else's job. Don't they understand how much uh, work I do and how much pressure I'm under? But because anger cannot be expressed by these individuals because of past traumas, all that anger has to come out some way. And one of the ways it comes out is I'm just not going to do it. And then another part of the self is, well, I'm going to fail at it anyway. And then another part of the self is saying, well, you should be ashamed of yourself for not doing it. And it's all going round and around. And until that psychodynamic system gets worked out somehow, it's going to be really hard to pull out of it. And what people will do is, you know, as you're saying, uh, it's, you're saying in an email, it's so frustrating because it's a problem I know I have. You do not have a problem, Natasha. The world has problems and it, and it gave you those problems (laughs) or the world treated you badly. That's a problem. And you developed a way of coping with that that was not a problem. That was a very effective way of dealing with your environment. And you are not the problem. The way you were treated was the problem. The world is the problem. You are not the problem. The fact that you're procrastinating is not a problem. You are not a problem. You put things off for very logical reasons based on your past. And this is a very important attitude to have, very hard to have when you are relationally abused, but an important first step to the healing and to the relaxation, uh, which can result in more reserves cognitively for getting things done. All right, this last email is from patron Soft Noodles. They write, "My, my chronic procrastination comes from avoidant personality disorder. I procrastinated on getting a therapist for over a year. Just the anxiety from having to make a phone call to the therapist was already enough to paralyze me. 
I now have an appointment with someone in September, but I had to pretty much hit rock bottom before I finally got to that point. There were many reasons for my procrastination, but at the core of it was my defectiveness schema. The act of going to therapy just went so directly against that schema that deep down it felt like the worst thing I could do. In my mind, going to therapy would only confirm how horrible and unflexible I was, and that just ter- uh, sorry, unfixable, how horrible and unfixable I was, and that just terrified me. In the end, I had to face my anxiety and accept the, those feelings of defectiveness without acting on them to be able to do the thing of calling for a therapist. End of email. Well, first off, on behalf of me and all the other patrons, Soft Noodles, we congratulate you on going to therapy and making an appointment. That is fantastic. I'm sorry you have to wait all the way until September. That isn't fun, but, you know, hopefully you can have long-term therapy. So you have a lot of self-awareness. And did you get it from listening to all the podcasts I do? (laughs) Because if so, this is impressive. So you're saying that you have defectiveness schema, avoidant personality disorder, and this results in you procrastinating because you have a lot of anxiety. You said, you know, you thought, well, maybe you should go to a therapist. And and then you you were having so much anxiety about making the phone call because you thought that going to therapy would confirm how horrible and unfixable you were. This is a very common schema that people have, by the way. People with avoidant personality and otherwise will suffer from this defective schema. And I notice it when they come into my office. They'll come in and they'll, you know, maybe by session five or ten, they'll just say something like, you know, when I first came in, I was sure that you were going to find something terrible about me to make it so that you would say that you didn't want to work with me. And I just find that to be so sad, so heartbreaking that, you know, a client comes into my office and they're lovely people and I, you know, enjoy working with them. You know, we struggle together, but, you know, it's it's worth it. And then at some point they'll say something like, early on, and I still kind of feel this way, that at any moment you're just going to look at me and say, there is something deeply wrong with you and it's unfixable and I don't even want to work with you as a client because of just how broken you are. You know, it's just heartbreaking that people would be treated like that early in their life and believe that about themselves so uh, strongly that an empathetic therapist would be a candidate for pointing that out. You know what I mean? That someone would think a therapist would say that to you or think that about you. And so a lot of the therapy, relational, uh, you know, corrective experiences involved in me downloading to them what's in my head, which has nothing to do with what they are, you know, transferring on to me. A lot of it is saying, no, you're, I don't see anything, I don't see anything wrong with you. You're a good person. Let, let me count the ways of how wonderful a person you are. At the very least, you're, you're not a terrible person. You're not horrible. You're not unfixable. That's, that's not even close to the way I think about you. It's very important. And then, you know, through action, the, the individual also will learn that, um, by my actions, I, I believe I, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm being truthful about my perception of them. So you're going to go to therapy, which is great. And hopefully you're with someone that understands defectiveness schemas and or avoidant personality so that they can provide awareness about it for you and also corrective experiences for you. Very important that you have corrective experiences, not only with your therapist, but with anyone demonstrating to you that there isn't anything wrong with you and that you're not horrible and that you're not quote unquote unfixable, that you're a good person and that there's, there's nothing really to fix other than the fact that you believe you're unfixable. If that makes any sense. And avoidant personality disorder is no joke. The anxiety and the defectiveness schema are strong and tenacious. So, uh, but make sure that you categorize it that way. And it sounds like you are. It sounds like you were like, oh, but if I go to therapy, they're going to they're gonna notice how horrible I am and they're going to tell me. But you put that aside. You know, it felt real to you, but you said, no, I'm not going to believe the hype. I'm not going to believe that. That's a voice that came from outside of me and it's been eternalized. I'm not going to believe it. This, I, I trust that I am a good person, that a therapist will see that and will be good to me and will and will not see only bad in me. So you overcame that. You made that appointment. Whatever, however you did that, just keep doing that day in and day out. All those intrusive thoughts of, 
well, if I go to the store, people are going to recognize how awkward and horrible I am. And then you got to push back and say, no, they're not, one, because I'm not a horrible person. Maybe I'm a little awkward. Who cares if I'm a little – a lot of people are awkward, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I'm a good person. And, and, and even if someone does think I'm horrible – that's on them. That's not on me. I'm not a hor- I'm not inherently horrible. There's nothing inherently wrong with me. I- I'm a good person. Let me count the ways. I, I- I'm considerate. I-, I try not to harm others. I'm ethical. Um, I've made mistakes, but I, you know, I-, I try to learn from my mistakes. Very important that you have a way of evaluating the um, you know, rationality of those schemas. It's hard to push back. Those schemas will... I'll be there until you heal from them. But it's very important that you keep doing what you're doing, soft noodles, which is pushing back and not believing it. All right. Well, so just to review, again, uh, those are all the emails, but just to review uh, my notes on procrastination, I'm going to rattle off all the factors that we talked about. So we have big five personality factors. So sometimes you'll have, you know, if you are um, neurotic, meaning that, you tend to be negative or depressed or anxious, then you're more likely to be um, a procrastinator. Perfectionism, as we talked about, traumas regarding responsibility, which we talked about, depression, anxiety, avoidant personality disorder, dependent personality disorder, being state-oriented. So these are individuals, if you remember, who are very preoccupied with their emotional state. Instead of thinking about the big picture, they're they're kind of focused on the immediate situation instead of, you know, because to do a chore is in is to be um, bothered in some way to to vacuum the house. You don't want to do it. It's going to be annoying. It, you know, it's you got to get the vacuum cleaner out. You got to. It's loud. Uh, it's physical work, <laughs> and it's it's temporarily a bad feeling. On you know, not a terrible feeling, but kind of bad. But it's important to zoom out and think about, well, the big picture is I'll feel better overall because for the next week or two, the, uh, you know, my carpet or my ground will be clean. Another is a lack of connection with the self, which we talked about. Attachment traumas can result in procrastination. Um, and uh, let's see here. I'm looking at my notes. Irrational beliefs, which we talked about how to push back on that. Poor time management poor organizational skills, having unclear deadlines, not knowing how to get into the flow, not having a proper work environment, taking on too many tasks, and having um, a different perspective of time. Um, Didn't really want to do it to begin with. None of y'all emailing in mentioned that, but I suspect that some of you, at least for some of your procrastination, this is a major factor. Um, really important that you evaluate, do I actually want to do this? The absence of positive reinforcers, phones and computers can interfere, lack of boundaries and not asking for, you know, lack of boundaries. Some people are like, look, you know, mommy has to spend four hours in her office getting shit done or not asking for support from other people. Um, ADHD obviously can can affect things. So those are all the factors and the way to treat, the way to avoid is the main thing, you know, and listen to the whole deep dive again, the main thing is you have to investigate, as the emailers you did, why you're procrastinating. Because once you figure out why, then you know what to fix. And it can be complicated. You know, some of the things I even talked about today, just speculating, it it can be complicated. It can be really complex. It, it, It might not be an easy assessment of figuring that. It might take years, really, to figure out what's really going on inside of you that is having a symptom of procrastination. All right. Well, that does it for that episode. It was interesting reading your emails. And everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it. You really, really do.